You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a physician and editor-in-chief of Maine, Maine Home Design, Old Port, Ageless, and Moxie Magazines. Love, Maine Radio show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com, grownupgirl.com, where you can get personalized guidance and encouragement for growing a simple yet vibrant life through free advice, workshops, and mentoring programs with local experts. You deserve to shine. Go to grownupgirl.com now to learn about our available programs and classes designed just for you in the Portland area. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port, 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the works of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormaine.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where everybody is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Kim Swan is the owner of the Swan Agency Sotheby's International Realty and is on the board of the Bar Harbor Historical Society and a long-standing friend of the magazine, so thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I've really been interested in all the different types of work you've been doing up in the Bar Harbor area because you could just focus on your business, selling houses, but you also you have a finger in, in the inns industry, you're doing work with film. I mean, it's like I can't turn around and not have your name be there up in Bar Harbor. What, why all of this different stuff? What keeps you so interested in so many different things? I think, I think it's a combination of being a Gemini and wanting to do a lot of things at once. But I was thinking about it a few weeks ago and I actually said to somebody, differently than most people in the real estate business, for most it's a second career or you know something they've done and then moved into full time, I didn't have a choice. Real estate was the family business, uh, so when I was leaving for my freshman year in college, my father said, hey, take some real estate classes and you won't have to waitress during summers. So I ended up selling houses during summers, and then it just became, I was going to go back and go to law school, but it was lucrative, and a lot of the local attorneys would say, Kim, you're making more money than we are, because it was a good time. So I didn't choose real estate, I, I cho- it, it chose me, so I think when I got to the point where I could start making choices I was able to start doing some things that I was passionate about like the filmmaking is the newest probably the newest thing but the ins and design and um, and just finding it's easy up there to find ways to marry them all into each other well let's talk about the film you just told me that you're now working on a second film but but you're referring to this first film which is called The Fire of 47. Yes, so The Fire of 47, which was really a statewide thing, um, happened, it, it decimated Bar Harbor, and it changed Bar Harbor. Up until that time, Bar Harbor was very much a wealthy community. Uh, most of the people had jobs working for the cottagers, as they were known. And it had started through the uh, depression and everything. It had started to not be 
as attractive, but people still had their big houses and everything. A lot of very notable families were there. And so when the fire came through, it ruined so many. I mean, over 67 of the huge mansions, over 100 of the you know, year-round people's houses. So it changed Bar Harbor. It, that's when we went, as somebody said, from being a summer community to being a tourist community. That's when the hotels started being built. That's when the motels started being built. So it was fascinating, and this was the 70th anniversary. And in order to get um, people who had been through it, 70 years ago, w we need to start getting those people to record their their experiences. So we set out a casting call and said, if you knew this, come down and talk to us. And the director, Peter Logue, who had uh, approached the Bar Harbor Historical Society to make this film, and as a board member, I said, I'll produce, and then the Historical Society would save the money on the producer. He just started uh, interviewing people and put together this amazing film. Did you know all of the people that were involved in um, the storytelling aspect of this? We yes, they were all local, so most of them would have been you know in their teens, but never knew, really knew their stories. You know how you always hear, oh, he doesn't talk about the war, he doesn't talk about some of these people had never talked about the fire, so some of their kids and grandkids had never heard these stories, and it was amazing. I mean, we just opened the doors to the Historical Society and these people just started coming in and the stories they were telling. When I saw the first trailer, I was, and I'm not exaggerating, I was in tears because this one guy talks about how he says something along the lines of, after the fire, they let us back in. He said, and we went back to the house and he said, and it was gone. And he said, and I, I think I knew it was going to be gone, but I didn't really realize everything was going to be gone. And there were some very sad stories and some very happy stories, um, but so compelling. And then everybody came on board. Steve Zernkilton, who's the um, voice of Law & Order, he's the Sail Harbor guy, and we asked him, I mean, we hadn't even finished the sentence and said, hey, Steve, would you narrate this film? It was yes totally as a donation and so we had some fun with it the people you know loved being part of it with Steve and everything and at the beginning of the film it's just a black screen and um, we had five major sponsors that gave us five thousand dollars each and then main magazine thank you came on as our media sponsor and so at the beginning there's just a black screen with the logos and that booming Steve Zernkilt law and order saying without the uh, support of these uh, people this wouldn't have happened kind of like a Downton Abbey beginning and then at the end in Maine the magazine and it's just was everybody was just like wow this is the real deal you know you've got the law and order guy on it so everybody just we didn't we didn't have to ask twice we said can you help do this yes can you help do this when we called down to here to Maine Mag you know this I think would be a really cool thing for you guys to be involved in and would you be the media I didn't even finish the sentence and it was yes we're in so it's been a great thing for the whole state your family is a long-standing Bar Harbor family how were, how were you impacted by the fire? Uh, we actually didn't move to Bar Harbor till I was four. 
And so I'm not allowed to say I'm from Bar Harbor, uh, or uh, because my ex-husband was uh, born in Bar Harbor, and he always would remind me. Somebody would say, "Are you from Bar Harbor?" And sometimes it's easy to say yes, but if he's anywhere near me, I have to say no. Nope, I was four, so we don't have any memories. You know, that was in the um, uh, late '60s, end of '60s. So we had just always heard about it. And, and there's still ruins, you know, as kids, you would go and explore the ruins and everything of, of these old cottages. And I've had listings in real estate. I have one right now that um, they never took down the gates and everything that didn't burn. So it's just, it's always, it's in the fabric of your life if you grew up in Bar Harbor because it's you know, all around. Did it mean something to you that there were fires happening in other parts of the country and really have been for quite some time as you were working on this this movie. That's so interesting that you mention that because that was the time that the California fire and everything it was happening and I would watch these things and think oh my gosh you know that looks so horrible where sometimes with the 47 fire it's almost like it was a movie or it was an event it wasn't real and then the combination of reading the news and then also working on editing these interviews where people had these memories that were so clear um, it's, it, yeah, it was very extra impactful, I think. And I remember talking to a few people about that and saying, wow, or 70 years from now, is there going to be somebody looking back on these fires? It's, it, it gives you pause. And it's also a good reminder that, I mean, obviously, fire is something that's so big that you can have all the most modern um, accessibility to things like water and firefighting equipment, and it can still really devastate just miles and miles and acres and acres of land and property and people's lives. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's and of course back then they didn't have as much. But it's interesting because the story that Steve Zernkilton narrated, the story that the director chose to use was the written memories of the fire chief. And I had always heard growing up that he always had a lot of guilt. And so it was, that's the voice we heard telling this story and how, I mean, they had put the fire out once and had no idea it was underground, which maybe today they would have known with all those little heat sensor things and everything. So when, when it started up again, um, you know, they didn't know what was coming. And then, then it goes back to how it started. And there's so many, I call them urban myths, even though Barbara isn't very urban. But, you know, d how did it start? And we never answered that question because there's too many. I mean, there are people that think it was arson. There are people that think it was a cigarette from some cranberry bog workers. There are people who think it was, um, it started near an old dump that thought the sun came in just right on broken glass and started it so it's to hear it through that his eyes and then the destruction I mean just horrible destruction and then how it affected everything going forward so tell me tell me how Bar Harbor did rebuild from losing so much it was 
most of most of the wealthy people left, and now when you look at Mount Desert Island, the the major cottages are in Northeast Harbor now. They're not in Bar Harbor anymore. Bar Harbor is really the tourist center for Acadia and everything. But I think going forward, like one one really interesting thing, I just sold a property a few weeks ago called Reef Point, and it's right on the shore path in Bar Harbor. So there's not a lot of houses. They're very very special properties, but Reef Point in the at the time of the fire, when the fire didn't take those houses, was owned by Beatrix Farrand, who's a very very famous landscape landscape architect. We would call her now, but she insisted on being called a landscape landscape gardener. Had a beautiful house right on the shore path and she wanted to donate it to uh, the town of Bar Harbor to be a horticultural center and town of Bar Harbor couldn't accept it the town of Bar Harbor was broke we had this horrible fire Uh, so much of the tax base was gone and so it was just a horrible situation because this mansion was breathtakingly beautiful she's now there and everybody's making um, Uh, documentaries about her now they're starting to understand how important she was when the town wouldn't accept her house because they couldn't because of the fire she got upset and she had it bulldozed and knocked it down and she had so many gardens azalea gardens and all these other perennials that she had nurtured through the years of doing all going all over the world doing most of the Rockefeller work and everything that at the last second before this raising was done, Mr. Rockefeller, um, uh, Mr. Savage, and uh, um, the architect, uh, his name's going away from me, but they all said, can we at least come take all these plants? So Azalea Gardens and everything that were on this estate became the Azalea Gardens and part of Thuya, Northeast Harbor. They saved all these things, and it was directly because of the fire that Bar Harbor didn't have the money to take this house and maintain it. And then you had other houses that would start being ripped down, even even well into the 60s and early 70s. And it, everything was because of the fire. Tell me what you learned about um, with regard to the psychology of making it through a fire. If you're talking to people who are children and teenagers, this is very traumatic for them. Yeah, it, it was traumatic. Some people in the film, you almost feel like, and not necessarily in a bad way, they grew up through the fire. There's one um, man that talks about, um, I think he was 17, and they went outside and there was uh, the fire uh, chief, I think, was outside his house and they said, what are you doing? And he said, sign this paper to these kids. and. Uh, he said, you're now members of the fire department, get going. And what they were in charge of doing is finding these paths to bring sandwiches and stuff to the men fighting the fire and to lead people through these Boy Scout paths that they knew. And so there was a huge source of pride with some people. And then there's, um, you know, there's there was a lot of humor in it. And when you see the Criterion Theater, which is a big theater, you know, 700 plus seats, when that whole theater erupts and laughter it, because of a documentary about a sad time you know you've done something right there's a, a man that tells a story about um, his father being out fighting the fire and, and realizing he had to evacuate his family and so he told everybody you know we have to evacuate so he ran in the house and said to this young boy at the time where's your mother and he said she's upstairs getting dressed 
And he said, where the hell she thinks she's going to a party? <laughs> and the whole theater erupted because though there were very sad stories, there were also these stories of like community coming together and, and everybody getting together. And that was the theme. At the end, the director used a quote, um, a lady that said, Islanders come together. You know, and even though I think that's a Maine-wide theme, I think Mainers always come together. For that story, it was Islanders, you know, come together. And so I think, I, I don't think you know on a documentary film like this, it, it, it leads you. I don't think the director knew, and we certainly didn't know where it was going to go, and he followed it to this, like, beautiful place. And this film has actually led you into another project. Yes. And another film. Another film. We're so excited. A neighbor of mine who just had her 90th birthday said to me after the success of the fire film, because we sold out the opening, we had red carpets, we had, I mean, we, we literally had a red carpet that all the stars won, that the photographer for Maine Magazine was there, and Faces Maine had every single one of them, and some of these, they're all in their 80s. And so she said to me one day, you know, the next thing, big thing here is happening is the 50th anniversary of Mount Desert Island High School is this year, 2018. So we got thinking about that and thought, wow, we did a really cool thing with marking the 70th anniversary. What's this all about? And on the face of it, okay, there's a high school that was consolidated. And, you know, Southwest Harbor, Tremont, Bar Harbor, and Mount Desert all went to separate high schools until 1968 when they came together. So that's kind of cool, but how big a story is this? It's huge. We're actually working right now, the curator of the Bar Harbor Historical Society has been talking with the curator of the Rockefeller archives. And back to the urban myths that happen, growing up in Bar Harbor, you hear this story that Mr. Rockefeller had always said he would give, build the high school for the island if they would call it Rockefeller High School. That's just a well-known urban myth. And if you really know the family or of the family, you know the last thing they do is ask for things to be named after them. I mean, for um, Mr. Recent Rockefeller's 100th birthday, they wanted to name a mountain after him, and he declined, you know? I mean, there's so much. So you, even though everybody believes that about the Rockefellers, it's not true. And so now we have found, by going back through the archives, he was very involved in giving the land and buying the land, but very quietly. So now we're finding this, we're going to be able to address things that for the last 60 years people have thought, and how the high school started being talked about right after the fire because people had lost tax bases and can we keep these schools going? And again, it relates to all of Maine because there was so much uh, resistance to this in some places and so much uh, advocacy in other places. You had everything about Desert Island always goes back to basketball. And you had guys who were like superstar basketball players that couldn't wait to consolidate and have kind of an all-star team that they could play on. But then you had other guys that might have been fourth or fifth man on their basketball team that knew as soon as they consolidated, they wouldn't play anymore. 
So it's fascinating to hear these stories. And it's I think it's going to be as interesting. And I mean, the audience for the Fire 47 was huge, but there's going to be kids now. Uh, the director just filmed at one of the championship basketball games. So he's going to tie everybody in now. So there's going to be 50, well, really 70 years of people. And, and just, again, letting the documentary find its own path and follow it has been amazing. Is it interesting to you that you've built your life around place and moving a place from one person to another or one company to another, and now your life is really focusing on place and the story of place in, a, in like kind of a different way? I hadn't thought about that, but um, you always have very good insights into <laughs> stuff like that. That's really interesting. I hadn't I hadn't thought about it like that, but you know, it's it's been a struggle because I love being in Portland. I still have businesses in Portland and everything, but I've really um, and I blame the Yorkies. You can't travel a lot with two little Yorkies, but because of that. The last few years, I've become so much more focused on Bar Harbor and working with the historical society. So, so yeah, it, it's interesting, and it's also interesting when people come to Bar Harbor and buy a house, and 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 a lot of what I do would be second homes or businesses. They get absorbed so fast. You know, it's it, Bar Harbor is a town where, oh, you've been here five years. If you want to, it will be like you've been here 20 years because everybody um, kind of embraces this amazing history and this complicated history and all the different things going on. I mean, you can't, it's, it's when people come from out of town that I realize you can be busy every night of the year in the winter in Bar Harbor. I didn't know that, you know, you see it through their eyes. And so, yeah, I think, I think it is a, a sense of place and a sense of appreciating what you have and wanting to share it in any different way you can with other people, whether it's through helping them purchase a property or understanding what's happening, you know, and, and, and really embracing the history and, and taking the historical society. The historical society was a quiet little organization until um, we did a designer show house on a historical property with Maine Home and Design. And it was the first time that anybody had ever done a fundraiser for the Bar Harbor Historical Society. That, and, and they will all tell you this, um, that one experience has, has catapulted the Bar Harbor Historical Society, and it's now one of the really talked about and I think admired uh, organizations for kind of retooling the effort and saying, okay, first we're going to make it so you can enjoy this historical house. And a lot of people don't get in to go into those homes. And now we're doing these films and it's all under the Historical Society umbrella. And um, it's not just for local people. We have a board member that was talking about the mission statement. We have to make these new people, you know, learn about what's the history of this. And in my mind, it was always, I'm preserving history for the people whose history it was. And that really gets you thinking, like, it's everybody's history. Nobody owns the history. It's, it's, if, if, if you want it to be your history, it's yours. And how do you make it so that everybody has access to it, I guess? 
As you're talking, I'm, I was thinking about a conversation I recently had with Abigail Carroll, who um, is an oyster farmer, and she told me that th- her oysters um, generally live on the bottom of um, the ocean floor, and they started this new thing where they put them on trays next to the ones on the bottom of the ocean floor. And not only did they look different, but they tasted different, and um, they had a different consistency to them. And it, I just thought, wow, what a great metaphor for us as humans and where we live and how we are shaped as much by the places we live in as um, as we believe we shape those places. So now you're talking about Bar Harbor and you're talking about people coming in. And I wonder if it's not a little bit like oysters that you know they start to take on the character of the place that they're in, even I, kind of unwittingly. I think absolutely. Yeah, I think that you can see people who are, and, and it's interesting because sometimes you will negotiate uh, on a on a big sale, and somebody will be in New York or wherever they are, and they'll be really tough, and you know you get through that and you think, oh wow, <laughs> he was kind of aggressive and everything, but you know which I admire, so I don't look at that as a bad thing. But then you kind of think they're going to come to Bar Harbor, and what's it going to be like? And then it's not there. So it's exactly what you're saying, that that aggression and that thing that maybe fits somewhere else and that you use that um, mode of, of communication, I guess, then you come to Bar Harbor and that same person would never, never even raise their voice, you know, never even just get adapted, I guess, so fast, much like the oysters, you know, they're going to live different ways to you know considering what they're surrounded by so I think everybody calms down and we have Acadia National Park you know it's like my gosh that's my backyard that what everybody you know wants to be all of us in Maine no matter where we are everybody wants to get up there at some point and you know for us it's just where Ava and Izzy go for a walk every afternoon so we count our blessings all the time You've already talked about a lot of things that um, you've worked on and are working on. What's the, th- the single biggest thing that you're most excited for right now? I think the, the biggest thing is going to happen um, in the fall, actually, and I'm planning for it now. I, I'm really, really lucky to um, be acquiring a, a major uh, lodging facility in the fall. And it's something that I have had wanted forever. Everybody always says, why do you, why are you in the inn business in Portland and Rockland and all these places in Bar Harbor? And I always said, I, I want to be Kim the real estate broker in Bar Harbor. You know, I don't want to be this other person. And I always used to say, you know, there are maybe one or two places in Bar Harbor I'd like to have. And so the opportunities come up and um, at the end of the year. So I think working on that design and renovation and rebranding and ideas, um, hands down, I, I'm, I almost have to like calm down because I'm so excited about it and it's going to you know it will launch in 2019 and it's going to be it's just going to be amazing and it's going to be 
I'm so lucky to have worked all over Maine in the lodging business. So it's going to be something that Maine doesn't have, uh, Bar Harbor doesn't have yet. So, because I also don't want to compete with friends. You know, everybody in the business, they're almost as friends. So I never wanted to have something that would compete. So we're going to create something completely, completely different. Well, I can't wait to see it. You will be there on opening day, I hope. I absolutely will. How can people um, watch your movie, The Fire of 47? The Fire 47 is now out on DVD, and they can order that by going on barharborhistorical.org. We are working right now, and I don't think it's up yet, but we're working on getting it on to iTunes so that people can stream it. It's about 39 minutes. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of time. But the DVDs just fun to have. Um, brand company did this amazing movie poster. I mean, we had it all. We had the movie posters and the red carpet and everything. And uh, so the movie poster is the cover of the DVD. And probably that's that's the easiest right now. We're going to do more showings um, throughout the state. We've already done a lot in libraries and different theaters and everything. But um, pretty soon online. I've been speaking with Kim Swan, who is the owner of the Swan Agency Sotheby's International Realty and is on the board of the Bar Harbor Historical Society and has done so many other things. And I really appreciate everything that you're doing. This has been a fascinating conversation. I will be there and see what you're going to be coming up with for your next big thing this fall. Thank I can't you. wait. I can't wait. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Thanks for coming in. Dr. Zach Mazzoni, DO, created Dayspring Integrative Wellness in Bath, Maine, with the belief that true health comes from building healthy relationships with your community, with your doctor, and with yourself. As a board-certified family and integrative medicine physician, Dr. Mazzoni and the whole staff at Dayspring are committed to supporting your wellness journey by providing integrative family medical care, osteopathic manipulation, herbal and lifestyle consultations, counseling, and wave therapy. Dayspring offers an innovative membership-based model of healthcare that gives you time together with Dr. Mazzoni to build a personalized wellness plan based on your health goals. Daily access for acute appointments is available, and you can even schedule a secure video conference call in the privacy of your own home. I know Dr. Zach and his family, and I believe strongly in the personalized whole-person approach to health that he provides. This is why I am encouraging you to find out more for yourself by visiting dayspringintegrativewellness.com or by calling them directly at 207-751-4775. Dayspring. Wellness. The way it should be. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristelle, Portland Art Gallery, Art Collector Maine, GrownUpGirl.com, and by Dayspring Integrated Wellness. Our editorial producer is Kate Gardner. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasick. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Andrew King and Dr. Lisa Belli. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.